This is Pound in Victory. Well, we want to thank people for tuning in to the podcast and uh, join us once again. Yeah. Christina's here. I am. Quite relaxed and ready. <laughs> I have the comfy corner of the couch. Yes, you do. Yep. And my wife Lynette is here. And Carlos. Yeah. Mom is the peanut gallery. <laughs> she, if looks could kill. I have no comment. <laughs> but I will say this, I've gotten used to those. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. She's bowed in prayer right now. <laughs> yeah, she is. She's like, I'm not looking at nobody. That's funny. What are you going to talk about today? Um, you know, um, I was thinking about mentioning a couple of verses right away. Okay. Um, Philippians 4.13 declares that... Uh, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that one in particular, because prior to my uh, salvation, I had so many situations in life where you don't have a control on them. And uh, you, you have to just wait for the results and see where they fall. And uh, even when I was talking about my mother in the last podcast, I... You know, I, I had situations go on like when she uh, had received uh, the injuries so bad in that accident that she had. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was told about it, and I was around the world, I was in Germany at the time, and they told me that I I never got over the idea of how helpless you are when somebody gives you a bad report. Right. And you're at the mercy of what? You don't know, you know, because you don't have an answer. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And it, the hopelessness in that situation is terrible. And then, I, you know, as I came to Christ and gave my life to him, I realized how many people are in that situation. Can I ask, what do you do? Because I've never in my whole life... You've always taught us that you pray. I've never known life without that. So it's very interesting to me. To th- it's, it's intriguing to try to think and understand what do you do then? Do you just do on it? Like, you don't have anything to turn to. You don't. And now, you know, when they was given that information, you know, the people that brought it to me, the Red Cross, they said, and don't expect to see her alive. That's, that's the last words they left with me when they turned around and walked you know, away. It's no wonder that people have like anxiety and depression the way that they do now. I mean, it's it's that in and of itself is a it's like a epidemic. Yeah, I've said this before. All people are positive. Some are positively positive, and others are positively negative. Yeah, you know. And when you're in that negative realm, you're you're controlled by it on all sides, and you don't have no no uh, hope in that. Right. And whatever the world delivers, that's yours. Yeah. So, when I got did get saved, and I found out that you know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, that's a tremendous revelation to have. Mm-hmm. Now it's not just a saying; it, it's a reality. 
Mm-hmm. But you have to be in Christ, and Christ in you to have that happen. Yeah. And then the prayer really is there, and you can call upon a Heavenly Father that hears your prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the Bible says that, you know, basically there's the Scripture says that the eyes and the ears of the Lord are open to the cry of the righteous. Mm-hmm. Well, if somebody's not righteous, that doesn't leave much hope either, you know, mm-hmm. you, because you have it's hard to call upon somebody you don't know you 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 see people all over around you if you go to a mall you're surrounded by people right. you don't know them you know you can't turn around and talk to them intimately and mm-hmm. tell them your needs and that's why it's so important people give their lives to Jesus Christ so that you receive his spirit mm-hmm. and then uh you 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 got that communication open at all times Right. So when, you know, my parents were in that accident, I would just got on an airplane and just coming home, not knowing if I was just going to a funeral or what I was doing. And that's the thing I, I want people to understand, how hopeless life is mm-hmm. without God. And God, God made sure that everybody could know that he exists. If it's not just the bare creation itself, mm-hmm. the most elementary level, of acknowledging the creator. Everything that people have and look at, it's his creation. Mm-hmm. Even when my dad, you know, that I could talk to him about Bible after I got saved, mm-hmm. um, he he could discuss Bible. Right. He, he read the Bible. He told me four times, cover to cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would sit down and I'd mention scripture and he could relate to me. Right. Yeah, the difference between us was he he said it was a good book to read, but that's all it was. Mm. I'm going to back up a little bit. You know, before um, before I came to Christ, I look back now and I see the crossroads, you know, uh, the different people I met and talked to me, you know, trying to say something about God. Mm-hmm. It didn't turn out very well. I really stood against pretty much everybody in different ways. When I was over there in Germany, I I got hooked up with people that, you know, it was, you know, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good manners, mm-hmm. and that's about the best way to sum it up. The uh, drug addiction over there was so heavy. Uh, I I thought to myself many times, if we did go into war, if people weren't on drugs, many of them were alcoholics. Mm. And I'd say the minimal amount of people that I seen in the military were straight. You know, they didn't have any alcohol issues. They didn't have any drug issues. But there were very few. Yeah. And it was a horrible situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in in those situations, though, I uh, it was remarkable because when um, I was in this barracks and we had a door. To another room mm-hmm. and next door there was three people that confessed to be christians christians in there so real quick to like kind of orient people to where you are in your life you went straight from high school into the military you weren't married you hadn't even met mom no so you were 17 yeah when you went into like basic training yeah were you 18 by the time you got shipped overseas um, actually, I, I turned 18 over there. Okay. 
and you know I was there altogether two and a half years. Okay. So, uh, with with the exception of the accident happening and coming back home for a little bit, you know, I, I was almost two years without seeing anybody, family, okay. or talking to them. And this is, in terms of like the world, it was right after Vietnam. It was. It was it's ended like the, while I was in. Okay, so it was like tail end. Yeah. Okay, because your brother was in Vietnam. Yeah, he he was in when I joined. Yeah. And then when I got shipped to Europe, he came back from Vietnam. And they sent him straight to Europe. Okay. So he was in Germany, and he was in Berlin, and I was in Augsburg, and that's why we met at Frankfurt to fly back together for the accident. That makes sense. Okay, so you're young. You're right. a young man right. when this is all happening. Yeah, I think I was in almost a year before I shaved for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was walking into a building one day. and uh, I'll post a picture on our Facebook page of you in your military, your military photo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I had a guy stop me in a doorway, and he said, do you shave yet? And I said, No. He said, well, I think you'd better start now. <laughs> so, but You're I like, got over there and I got influenced by a lot of people, you know, and, yeah. and uh, it just so happened I got put in a room with two drug addicts and, hmm. and it took a little while, you know, but they worked on me and they finally talked me into trying some marijuana or hashish it was. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, the thing was, you didn't you didn't just get that you you uh, you had other things laced in it, mm -hmm. and uh, the first time they talked me into doing it, you know, I thought, no, oh, this stuff isn't going to bother me. You know? Did you just drink before that yeah. only? Yeah. Okay. So they um, they gave me that, and I you know I smoked it and. Then I was laying down on a bed, and I was thinking to myself, "This stuff doesn't do anything to you, you know." Mm -hmm. And then the guy walked over there, one of them that was in the room, and he had a fist over the top of my face, and I was laying on a bunk. And then as he come down toward me, he opened up his hands like a net and brought it right down to my face, and then swooped his hand back up like the net was closing. Mm -hmm. And he did that like three or four times. And I kept thinking, you know, there's nothing going on here. And then all of a sudden, I seen that thing come down and swoop up people and pick them up and drop them in a pit of fire. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and it just really... So you were tripping out. Yeah. And it just frightened me. You know, mm -hmm. that all these people just got dropped in a pit of fire. Mm. And then, and of course, you know, time went on, and, you know, I ended up dabbling in more and more and more. And uh, back in those days, um, LSD was really heavy. Mm -hmm. I don't hear about talk much about today, but uh, back then it was just predominant. And they always had the LSD, and they laced that with speed, and, uh, you know, when you talk about hopelessness, I had a good taste of it because a guy came around one night and he was passing out drugs. And he said he was going home. He was celebrating going home. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought he was getting discharged and just going home. But um, that night, I went ahead and accepted it. And I already knew that there was a few people that I personally knew that had ended up going to the hospital and they lost their minds. Hmm. And they called that um, acid that night, white lightning is what they give it the name of. Hmm. So I, you know, I, I was going to be cautious. And, you know, when you're dealing with something illegal and something very dangerous, it's hard to be cautious. Yeah. Because it's not regulated. Not at all. Right. And they take an eyedropper and they drop it on a piece of paper and then they cut it out. Mm-hmm. The piece of paper could be anywhere from a quarter inch, quarter inch to a half inch by half inch. You know, depending on how sloppy they are. Right. And they he passed those out. And he was all happy and everything, you know. So, of course, every, there was dozens and dozens of guys around me that took it. Mm-hmm. Well, when people take drugs like that, <clears throat> they want to counteract it because they know they're doing something wicked and evil. So what they do is they take it, but then they run to the, to the cafeteria. So they try to counter it by eating a good, healthy meal. The idea of taking it, and I knew that people, it really hit people hard, and I was still going to do it. But I took a razor blade and I cut it in half. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'll only take half of it. And there was a guy that lived in the room next door. Now, there was a door between the two rooms, but we yep, had they it They were locked. adjoining. Yeah, we mm-hmm. had it locked on our side, and they kept it locked on their side. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys over there, um, you know, I still remember him today. <laughs> he was a really a, a, a nice person, and he had uh, real curly blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah, what was his name? Archie. I tried to find him online. I have been unsuccessful in finding him. Yeah. It was Archie Smith. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Smith is a hard a hard name to kind of narrow up. down. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he, he would always talk to me about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I guess, if I can remember correctly, I think he was ordained as a Baptist minister. Mm-hmm. And every time he had a chance, you know, he'd try to pin me down to talk to me about Jesus. And he was also a barber. And when he'd give me a haircut, he would do half my head and then stop. <laughs> and then he'd preach to me for an hour or two. <laughs> and then finally I thought, Archie, Archie, finish my hair, please. You know. <laughs> That's so funny. But he was in that room. So th- that night I I took this LSD and... I waited and waited, and nothing was happening. Now, I had a beautiful stereo system mm-hmm. and big speakers, and I had a recliner, and I had a speaker on each side of me, and I I took that, and nothing happened, nothing happened. But while I'm sitting there, I was backed up. The chair was backed up to that door, mm-hmm. and this guy is crying on the other side of that door, wailing. And crying out to God, crying out to God, please, Father, please. And he's calling me out by name to God, asking him to show mercy hmm. to my soul and don't let me die. Wow. It's enough to make me cry yet today. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know at the time that, you know, I could die mm-hmm. on what I did. 
And after a long time listening to him, and then I realized this stuff wasn't working, I took the other half. And it was only moments. Now, I said you can't really rely on them doing a good job with right. drugs, you know. There's no quality control. No. And I took, I, the whole drop of whatever they put on there had to be on the other half. Hmm. Because it hit me so strong that by the time the people come back from the cafeteria, and there was like half a dozen of them, they come filing into the door, and I realized I couldn't remember who they were. Hmm. I could not put a name to every, any one of them. And then, as I'd look around, you know, I'd look at the windows, and all of a sudden the window would take up the whole wall, and then the window would shrink, shrink back down, and I was hallucinating just terribly. Hmm. But when I... I kept looking back at these people, and I, I just could not figure it out. And then I thought, well, where am I? I don't even know where I am. I'm in a room full of people I don't know, and it, it started bringing fear on me. Yeah. And pretty soon one of them walked over to me, and his given name wasn't the one anybody used. They called him Rat. And he was kind of small and real shaggy looking, and, he was from Staten Island, New York, hmm. and he was the one that, uh, you know, had a big hand in me getting started, uh, taking any of this stuff. But somehow, somehow, he recognized the issue. I was having trouble, and he come over and he put a hand on each arm of, chair, of the chair, and leaned into my face, and he kept calling my name. Hmm. And, I mean, he's inches from my face and he kept calling my name over and over and over and all of a sudden it dawned on me i remembered who i was and as he did that i realized who he was hmm. and he asked me is you okay i said yeah real hesitantly i said yeah yeah i'm okay he said all right he says i'm going to leave you alone then and he turned around and he made about three steps and i forgot who he was again now they, they laced these things with speed, which means you're going to be up for hours. Mm -hmm. You can be up for three days sometimes. And it was a good 16, 18 hours before that stuff started wearing down. In all that time, I was struggling. But a half a dozen times through the night, he'd walk over and do, repeat that mm. and bring me back to my consciousness of who I was and where I was. But it only take a split second when he walked away for it to lose again. Hmm. The torment of that night was horrible. Horrible. The thing that I recognized mentally was I'm losing my mind and I can't do anything about it. Hmm. I had no control over it. None. And the fear was gripping me so severely. And nothing. Nothing I could do to stop it. I knew that, that sounds awful. It, it was. It was a, one of the worst torments you could ever go through. Hmm. And, you know, I, I wanted it to the end, I, but it, there was no way to control it or do it. Hmm. When, you know, when I think back and the different things that people can encounter in life, you know, and a lot of people, they might have other situations that control them in a, in a like manner. Mm -hmm. Maybe it isn't. LSD with 
laced with speed, mm-hmm. but it could be alcohol. It could be uh, a milder method of drugs. It could be people controlling people. Mm-hmm. But the hopelessness in any situation is horrible. When you talk about speed in the military, I can't help but think of the guy painting the tank. Yeah. <laughs> well, he came to me and he asked me if I wanted to take pills with him. We were on guard duty. Yeah. And he held his hand out in front of me and he had two pills. They had to be as big around as a half a dollar. Ugh. And about a quarter inch thick. And so it's like a wafer. Pretty big. Yeah. And he says, hey, man, you want one of these? And I said, no, I'm going to pass. Right. I, 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 I said, where'd you get them? He said, a guy gave them to me. I said, but you don't know what you're getting? He said, no. So I passed on it. I said, no, I'm going to skip it. Now, I know that it was the wrong thing to do. We were on guard duty, but I went to sleep. I just <laughs> yeah. sat down in the corner and I leaned up against the ball and we were out in the where all the vehicles are. You're like, I'll just lightly fall asleep. (laughs) If something happens, I'll definitely hear it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was outdoors in the summer, you know. Mm -hmm. I just leaned back against the building. And and when I woke up, it was daylight. And he was up on top of a tank. Which are big. Yeah, they're huge. A tracked vehicle with a big gun on it. Yeah. And he's up on top of a tank with a five-gallon pail of OD paint, and he's got about a three-inch paintbrush, and he's painting a tank. You know, he stayed there for three days and got it all done. By brush. Yeah. But he was so wound up on speed. Wired. He couldn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. It was horrible. Mm. But, you know, there was all kinds of people around me doing the same thing. Right. When I got ready to leave to come home i was about a month away from discharge mm-hmm. and i thought to myself i gotta quit you know if i got busted now and got put in jail or something it's been two years since i seen or talked to a family member there was two times in my life while i was in the military the red cross came and phoned me one was for that accident and the one was a, the next time was a long time later i had a knock on my door and i opened it up and it was two guys from the red cross and they said my name, asked me if that was me. And I said, yeah. I said, Will you, can we see your hands, please? I said, what's this all about? And I raised my hands up. You know, One took one hand, one took the other one. They were moving them back and forth, looking at them. Finally, they let go of my hands, and they said, uh, doesn't seem to be anything wrong with your hands. And I said, no. I said, what's going on? And one handed me a pack of pens, and the other one handed me a, a notebook and some envelopes. They said, your mother contacted the military. She doesn't know if you're dead or alive. Write her a letter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it never occurred to you to write home? No. No, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I know the saying is absent makes the Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. Yeah. But it also puts a distance here we have to forget. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. My I, mother would do the exact same thing. Yeah, <laughs> she would track me down. So when I was real close to coming home, I thought I'm going to quit. Okay. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm as hard as it is. I'm just going to shut down everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was going through with jaws. I even got stuck in an airplane coming back from Germany, and I couldn't hardly stand myself or anybody around me. 
Hmm. And they're quite tight quarters there. Yeah. And when I got home, you know, I come back to Chippewa Falls, and I, my parents moved twice while I was gone. I didn't know that. Uh, Everything was different. Yeah, and they were living in town. They hadn't been living in the country before. And I had to go to a gas station, ask for that address. Somebody helped me find it. And then I was only about six blocks up from that house. So I walked there. And they knocked on the door, and my mother came and answered the door, and she just, oh, just totally lost it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was standing in front of her, and the last time she had contact, she was through the Red Cross to find out if I was alive. <laughs> and I was standing there, and, you know, I come in and give her a big hug and everything. You know, and I'm still really on edge, you know, coming off of everything that I'd been doing to myself. Mm-hmm. And then my brother come in, my younger brother, and he was, you know, like a little boy when I left. <laughs> and here he is, as big as I am. And he had hair down to his shoulder blades. And, mm. and he come over and give me a big hug. I hugged him back. He said in my ear, you want to smoke some pot? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and I thought, it's going to be a safe place. Yeah. My, my parents don't do drugs. My siblings don't do drugs. And... I walked in the door, and that's what I got addressed with. <laughs> and I, I pushed him back, and I said, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go smoke pot? No, okay. I didn't. Once I was that far, I just stayed away from him. You know, you have situations that, like that in life, and then you you have somebody pleading for you. When I was in that room, he pleading for my life. Where was he from? Kentucky. And his name is Archie Smith? Yeah. So, you know, I, I had a great appreciation for that man later in life. When mm-hmm. I come to Jesus Christ, and I know that I could have very well lost my mind that night. And to go into that, listening to somebody plead your case before God, that was wild. I look back in history and I say, wow, that man was there pleading my case before the throne of God. Right. Yeah. So you're hopeless in yourself because you don't know him, no matter what situation you're in. And that's why it's so desperate, you know, the world is for Christ and his saving grace. You know, I watched my whole family live for a long time, you know, and, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't have a party unless alcohol was involved. Mm-hmm. I might have mentioned this earlier that at Christmas time, you know, Christmas was nothing more the the biggest party of the year. You know, you didn't go to church, you didn't, you know, celebrate Christ, but you you bought gifts and gave gifts and things like that. But alcohol was all across the bar and cases of beer stacked up against the wall, and everybody stayed drinking all the way from before Christmas through New Year's. Hmm. And uh, it leaves a family in a pretty hopeless situation altogether. Right. You know, there's a, there's a lot of scriptures that Philippians 4.19 says that God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we need that help. But, you know, I was reading the Bible one time and I was, um, you know, this is after I was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was reading that verse, and then I ended up 
going on and reading. Next thing I know, I'm back at that beginning again, at that verse. And I read it again, and I read dozens of scriptures and found myself right back there. And I said to the Lord, I said, what are you trying to show me here? He told me to read it again. And so I read it. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know? mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I realized that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches. And his riches is his words that he left us in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That's the riches of God right there. And he said, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In glory, what speaks to his dwelling place. And we're to be a vessel for God to dwell in, a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So my God will meet all my needs according to his riches, his words that are instilled within me because I'm supposed to be the dwelling place, the glory place of God. So as I get the more of the word in the inside of me, then uh, God's got more to work with from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Miracles really don't start taking place in a person's life out, outwardly. They begin inside when a person starts seeing themselves in Christ and what he can do. Mm-hmm. So when I look back, you know, and I talk about the things that I'd been through, you know, and at a young age and uh, in the military and out, you know, um, you know, I was, I was so young when I went in, when I got out, the legal age to drink alcohol was 21. And I got out at the age of 20 after being in for three years. And I was with uh, my brother, my older brother, and we were in a water street in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. which is all bars practically. And uh, we went in there, and the guy wanted to card me because I had ordered a drink. My brother recognized what's going on, and I I wasn't legal age to drink, (laughs) even after being gone in the military for three years. Right. And... My brother spoke up and he said, you know how insulting you are? He just got out of military being in for three years and you ask him to, for a card before you're going to serve him? He said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you went and got my drink. <laughs> but, you know, that was a lot to go through in a, a young age, 17 to 20. You know, when it, when you live in that manner, um, I, I can't bring the fact enough about the hopelessness without Christ. Right. Um, And I've met a lot of people that are in that state. I had a nephew that approached me one time, and my brother passed away. Mm. And that particular brother, he told me one time that I went to talk to him at his house, and I was informed that I had offended them. You know, this was after I was saved. And uh, I went to see him, and ask him what was wrong. If I did offend him, I said I wanted to apologize. But when I walked in the door, his wife turned around and walked out. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'd like to talk to both of you. And I said, could you go get her and bring her back? And he said, she don't want to be in the same room as you. Mm-hmm. And we sat down by the table and he said, let's start out this way. I want you to know 
that I don't need your God you serve. I don't want to talk about your God. I don't want to hear the name of Jesus Christ, and I think your God is the most putrid God I've ever heard of. Hmm. And he says, so what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I was told I offended you. And he said, whatever it is, don't worry about it. We don't care. And we pretty much ended our conversation. And I walked out, and I got in my car, and I sat there weeping because his soul was so hardened. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a long story, but, you know, he, he did let me pray for him at a point before he left this world. Mm-hmm. And his son came to me and asked me if I would do the funeral. Yeah. I, I told him, I said, let's get together for coffee. Mm-hmm. And we did for about two and a half hours. So we went to coffee, and I said to him, I said, you need to understand, I still live for that same God your dad told me he didn't want nothing to do with. And he said, yeah, I know that. He said, but I want you to understand that when I was growing up and they turned on you, mm-hmm. he said there were several occasions I tried to ask my parents why they were doing that. And they did tell, tell me to shut up. I was too young to understand. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've never agreed with it. He said, I want you to do the funeral. I said, I will, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. And he said, you talk about anything you want to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, it was interesting to hear him talk, you know, because, it, you know, the the family were in the same state I was at one time in the hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And he recognized it and couldn't understand why they wanted to cut it off so bad. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, a lot of people don't know where to turn. Mm-hmm. When I met my wife, you know, I I wasn't, you know, in any state of mind for Christianity at that point. Mm-hmm. But she was born and raised in a Christian home. So by the time she was nine years old, she came to a intimate relationship with Christ and baptized in the Holy Spirit. When I met her, there was a, a gap in that time where they, that family was not you know, actively serving Christ. Mm-hmm. She was friends, best friends with a, a girl that I had known for a long time. And that girl knew I was in town, you know, back from the military. Mm-hmm. And my wife was kind of stranded at a laundromat and didn't have a way home. And she called me and asked me if I'd give her a ride. I said, yeah. So I went and picked her up, then went down to pick up my wife, mm-hmm. her best friend at the time, and gave her a ride home. And the unique thing about that was her dad wasn't actively doing any work in a church at the time, but he was uh, still very involved with God. Mm-hmm. I ended up dating her, you know, after mm-hmm. I met her at the laundromat. <laughs> Just yeah. something you couldn't resist, huh? Yeah, yeah. That, that smell of freshly folded laundry. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the mini skirts and stuff, you know. <laughs> you were wearing a mini skirt to do laundry. Well, you know, she wore that later, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh, he was pretty resi- uh, re- irresistible. Uh, irresistible at that moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I would go to pick her up, you know, her dad would have his Bible open and he would start sharing, mm-hmm. and he w- wasn't aggressive about it, but. He was pretty excited. Yeah. And he'd, you know, share things with me. And the easiest way to say this is with words, with words, 
he began painting a picture mm-hmm. of who Christ was. And this is before your mother passed away, right? Yeah. So, like, all of these things were kind of happening together. Mm-hmm. So, like, Archie started praying over you years before that. Yeah. And then you come back, you meet mom. Grandpa starts to share with you. Mm-hmm. At the same time, shortly thereafter, within, well, within the first 10 years of your marriage, that's when your mom got sick, was yeah. like right in that time. Mm-hmm. And so everything was just kind of like lining up, you know? It's like people were, it was, you were getting a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here. And then as you say, grandpa started to kind of paint a picture for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with words. Yeah. You know, telling me about Jesus, and, mm-hmm. you know, reading scripture and you know, I'm I'm this thing is building in my spirit. Yeah. You know, I I wasn't conscious of what was taking place in the subconscious. Mhm. So, as he painted this picture of who Jesus was and how he was loving people and made a way for him. Mhm. And all that's building and building. And when you know, I finally at one point looked around and I thought life is really bad. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> there was only one time in my life that I ever seen my dad hit my mother. Okay. Um, and I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I don't know what happened, but he really let loose on my mother. The only time I can ever remember him touching her. Mm. And he was under the influence of alcohol when it happened. But I stood there and I just made a vow inside myself I'd never, ever hit a woman, you know, mm-hmm. after watching that. I looked around at that point, and my, three of my brothers got, got divorces in one year. Mm-hmm. Our marriage wasn't good. Yeah. I mean, I never physically did anything, but I, verbally I, I was not good. Um, one of our children were told that, you know, he'd probably... Uh, not live long and and be in a wheelchair most of his life, you know, because he Mm -hmm. was born with cerebral palsy. And it was just bad all the way around. Mm -hmm. All the way around. Everything you looked at was evilly influenced. Yeah. And I mean, evil was the influence of everything. And I thought, if if there be a God, if there be one, which he'd been telling me about, Mm -hmm. if there be a God, I said he could not have intended for life to be the way it is. If there be one. And if there is a devil, if there is a devil like he's been telling me. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to back up a little bit. When I when I was seeing these people, they'd, I'd hear people talk about giving their lives to God because he loved them so much and he's so loving relationship. You know? Yeah. And all those testimonies were nice. But I, I always told people, i got to be honest. I gave my life to God to get even with the devil. Which is interesting because I feel like God was like, well, I can work with that. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I when I made that decision, first of all, I thought, how in the world can I do this? How can I pull this off? Because I've, I've, lived, I've been living on the dark side all these years. Yeah. And you said that last episode, I think, and... 
I was thinking about that too. It's like you, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have that same thought. It's like, do I need to move away? And another thing I was doing at that time was I, I was negotiating a lot of contracts mm-hmm. for wages, benefits, and everything. And I was the lead, the lead person fighting yeah. for other people and fighting hard. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, everything has to change. Yeah. So the next time we get together, I'm going to tell you about that. <laughs>